wait. Ahsoka, I need to talk to you. Why are you doing this? The Council didn't trust me. So how can I trust myself? What about me? I believed in you. I stood by you. I know you believe in me, Anakin. And I'm grateful for that. But this isn't about you. I can't stay here any longer. Not now. The Jedi Order is your life. You can't just throw it away like this. Ahsoka, you are making a mistake. Maybe. But I have to sort this out on my own. Without the Council... ...and without you. I understand. More than you realize... ...I understand wanting to walk away from the Order. I know. You fought in the Clone Wars? Yes. I was once a Jedi Knight, the same as your father. Here we go. I have a bad feeling about this. Follow me, boys! You're not shinies anymore. Go, go, go! again everybody welcome back to the clone war strikes back boy oh boy does it feel good to hear that music again in the words of padme amidala master kenobi it has been far too long but we are back this is the clone war strikes back you are in the right place to talk about star wars the clone wars this is a show where we go back and celebrate the six to seven year history it's a bit of a gray area at this point of star wars the clone wars by discussing discussing each and every episode episode arc story reel comic book novel whatever else they may throw at us in the next eternity uh but we are we will discuss it here talk about what it means in the overall saga as well as the legacy of the emmy award-winning animated series star wars the clone wars introductions are in order if you're new to the show and well it's been a while so maybe you forgot who we were too if you've been listening for a while that's always possible my name is dominic and joining me as he always does is my good friend and co-host the award-winning karen duggan good evening star wars fans and welcome back to the clone wars strikes back it has been a while hasn't it dominic it's been far far too long and i don't know about you but it's quite nice to be back in the chair, isn't it? Yeah. Quite nice to be back into the seat and, and getting stuck in, really, to Star Wars once again. <laughs> I feel like most people would have recognised us for being 
a Game of Thrones yeah. host <laughs> or co-host, co-hosting a Game of Thrones podcast rather than Star Wars lately, won't they? Yeah, really. What's <laughs> up with that? What's up with that? I know. Yeah, it has been a while. You know, it's been a couple of months here. You know, this show is no stranger to lengthy, unplanned hiatuses. And, and this was due in large part to our, our schedules over the summer um, and, and due to the game of thrones release schedule because we have been doing another podcast the watchers of westeros that's our game of thrones show you can go back and listen to our thoughts on season five of that show you can find that on on itunes and the various places you get podcasts uh but we're back here to do some clone wars we're going to be doing weekly episodes for the month of august more or less maybe uh, for at least at least three weeks <laughs> at least three weeks of, of weekly episodes uh to get sort of back on pace to where we want to be because you know this episode these episodes that we're talking about tonight this that this is kind of the beginning of the end it really is really is and then we've got the lost missions and the legacy content and speaking of legacy content in the time since we've been off some new Clone Wars legacy content hit the hit, hit shelves. Uh, the novel Dark Disciple by Christy Golden, which is based on eight unproduced episodes of the Clone Wars and features the story of Asajj Ventress and Quinlan Voss, uh, is now available in hardcover from Del Rey and Random House. Uh, so if you haven't already picked that up, and if you're listening to this show and you haven't picked that up, Go do that now, but pause the show or better yet, take the show with you and go to the bookstore and pick it up and read it because it's, it's really, it, it is a great read. I've, I've finished it. Kieran, have you read it yet? Have you read Dark I, Disciple? I am now on about chapter 10 or okay. so. Okay, So, good. um, I started off reading it very steadily, usually a chapter a night, but it's really getting good now, and I think I read about five chapters in a row, and oh, sweet. I then had to take a bit of a break to <laughs> do other things, but sure. <laughs> I echo your thoughts entirely there, so folks, get out there and purchase this book, it is a fantastic read, and yeah. certainly on the on the levels of Tarkin and, um, and, and Plagueis so far, I'm really intrigued about these two characters, I think the dynamics really work, so... Get out there, do the reading for yourself, come back and email us or message us about your comments about the about mm-hmm. the novel because we'll be talking about that in due course, won't we, Dominic? Yeah. Yeah, we'll be actually be doing two shows about Dark Disciple, one on the first half and one on the second half because uh, if you've read the novel, you know that about halfway through the halfway through it, something big happens and then there's a bit of a time jump uh, and then we pick up the story well, you know, this, this seems like, you know, this arc would have been the first half of the book would have been an arc for season seven and the second arc would have been a uh, the second half would have been an arc for season eight kind of thing. And so that's how we're going to break it up. Plus, they also put out the uh, official chronology for the Clone Wars legacy content in the time that we've been off. And apparently uh, Darth Maul, son of Dathomir, which was the first of the legacy content to be released takes place about halfway through Dark Disciple. So we'll do the first half of Dark Disciple, then we'll do Son of Dathomir, and then we'll wrap up with part two of, of, of Dark Disciple. And then, then we have a few other surprises in store before we uh, before we shut things down for good. And I hesitate to, to really say for good, because you never know what else they may put out. There's so much content that they have at the Lucasfilm Archives about this show that they could keep putting stuff out there conceivably for the next 15 years. If they... they parse it out slowly but surely i mean we've gotten you know in the two years since they canceled the show we've gotten two story reels a comic series and a novel 
as well as you know 13 finished episodes <laughs> we should we can include that in there as well so if they continue to maybe you know show a story reel at at celebrations we expect there to be celebrations on a pretty pretty regular basis from here on out probably a yearly basis then that's a new that's a new story arc per per year that could keep us going for a little while and maybe some more of it gets the comics treatment or the or the novel treatment or an audio play who who knows there's so many uh so many different ways they could release this stuff uh that it will i don't know if it will ever truly end until we see that until we see what would have been that uh that finale arc that would have tied into the battle of coruscant that would have been so great would have been so great but that's that's not what we're here to talk about this week we are here to talk about the ahsoka arc the season five finale the the four-parter that really shook star wars fandom to its core when it was released and for me when i think of the series finale of the clone wars i don't i don't think of the yoda arc or i don't think of any of the lost missions or the legacy content i think of this arc because it really at the time it was the end and it, it felt like the end and it kind of became ingrained for me as this is the end point for the clone wars obviously i know there's more to come and we've got lots more episodes to do uh, but for me I, I think of this arc as this was sort of that moment in time this was the last moment in time where it sort of felt like okay this is the clone wars how it was meant to be released how how we've gotten used to it everything since then has been released in such a different format uh, that there is something special about these episodes at the end. But let's get into them before we do. Kieran, do you have the episode descriptions for us for this week? I do indeed, Dominic. And we will commence with the first episode in this four-part arc entitled Sabotage. Anakin and Ahsoka investigate a deadly bombing at the Jedi Temple. You'll realize the pattern that these are very short and succinct. <laughs> the second episode in this four-part story arc is entitled The Jedi Who Knew Too Much. As the Republican military takes over the temple bombing case, Ahsoka finds herself at odds with Admiral Tarkin. The third episode is entitled To Catch a Jedi. The fugitive Ahsoka escapes to the criminal depths of Coruscant, only to come face-to-face -face with an old foe. And the final episode is named The Wrong Jedi. On trial for murder, Ahsoka faces her greatest challenge, while simultaneously, Anakin searches for who the true villain is behind this attack. All right. Well, let's let's do things a little bit differently this week, and we're going to start at the end. We're going to start with the with the very end of the episodes. But before we do that, that's a little teaser for what's to come. Kieran, what were your sort of initial impressions of this arc when it first began? See, I'm, I'm forgetting how to do this. I'm throwing things out of out of order and all all over the place. What was your initial initial impressions of this arc, and how have they changed since 2013? Since or no, since 2012, I guess. When, when did yeah. this one come out? 13. 13. Uh, yeah, 13. Many yeah, many moons. Many moons ago, ago in 2013. <laughs> Yeah. The initial impressions, it's it's quite a tough one, really, because whilst these episodes were airing, I don't know if you can recall this, Dominic, but <laughs> there was a lot of information circulating around the internet about the potential of Clone Wars cancelling at this time. And uh, I think Jimmy Mack was one of the 
prominent figures I remember stating on the Forcecast or Rebel Force Radio I think, at that time. Um, and on one of the shows, I think it was the penultimate episode of this season, it mentioned that there were going to be no more episodes for the rest of the season and that the show was going to be cancelled. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot of ambiguity surrounding what what was actually going on. Oh, were there going to be more Clone Wars episodes? And that really combined with the emotional pull, I think, in this arc as well, with the fact it was focused predominantly on Ahsoka Tano and how she becomes ostracized by the Order and eventually decides to desert it. And you've got this really emotional roller coaster ride happening in verse, but you also had a, a similar emotional roller coaster taking place outside in the real world, in reality. Mm-hmm. Because the Clone Wars, it seemed as though it was being suspended and it wasn't going to come back. So you look back at this arc now in terms of how the initial impressions have changed, and I'd say. I look back at it as a sentimental piece and we see this now as really a legacy of Ahsoka Tano and not actually the end of her character because we've now seen her on Rebels and of course we we know now what impact her character has had on Star Wars fandom. She's one of the fan favourites now. She's I think one of your favourite characters now, Dominic. Oh yeah. So at the time it was very difficult really to to really distance yourself from the emotional strings and, and, and the ties that were taking place within this art, the, as I said, the tensions and the roller coaster that was taking place from what was happening in reality. So with that in mind, it's always going to be a tricky arc to look back on completely favourably because I mean, these are great episodes, but just subsumed with really, sadly, the negativity aspect of, the fact that this, in a way, was the end. Mm-hmm. As you said, we got the bonus content, but this really signified the end of Clone Wars on television. So, in a way, it is quite sentimental. But what about you? Do you have different thoughts, or have they changed, really, since 2013? No, I, you know, like I was saying, I, I feel that these, ep- these episodes, more so than anything else we've gotten feel like the series finale to me and i think of them as the series finale i think of this as how the clone wars ended because in a way it it is uh like you were saying we got the stuff that came afterwards but this was the end of the clone wars on tv this was the end of an era this was the end of star wars as we knew it uh you know for because for five seasons at this five years clone wars had been what star wars was it was the only thing that there was and and you know, shortly, you know, a couple of months before these episodes, so it's aired, we had gotten the announcement that there would be new movies, that there would be all this new stuff coming from Disney. And in some ways, you know, the Clone Wars kind of was the, the sacrifice, it was the you know, thing we had to give up in order to get this, this new incredible era where, you know, as we're sitting here, we're about four months away from a new Star Wars movie, which is something I never thought we'd see. I thought Star Wars would continue on on TV and in books and comics and, and that sort of thing. But never in this sort of five movies in five years kind of thing that we've got coming up. 
and so I think Clone Wars is sort of the you know is the thing that had to go in in order to get this this new incredible stuff, and it's something we hated to see go. It was really a shame to see it go, and and these episodes, in a lot of ways, sort of feel like there's a lot of uh, you know visual stuff in there that seems to symbolize that. You know, you look throughout this episode. You know, the episode the episodes begin that the first episode begins with a very you know just a typical action sequence from what we've come to to be used to on the Clone Wars with Anakin and Ahsoka having some fun. Fun, you know, lots of good banter, some good action. R two looks like he's dead, but he comes back, and this is you know everything is normal, everything seems right, and then throughout the episodes, everything becomes very dark. And anytime we are with the the Jedi Order, the Jedi Temple, you know, there's the, you can tell there's it's all it was all done at sunset, it was all made to look like sunset throughout this episode until, you know, the final scene when Ahsoka chooses to walk away, it looks like it's sunrise all of a sudden. And, you know, you kind of can get kind of poetic about it. And this is, you know, again, it's it's reaching into sort of the real world or the out-of-universe out of stuff that was going on, is that, you know, this was the the sun setting on the series and the sunrise in this new era. And, you know, Ahsoka walking away kind of symbolized that because she was the representative of, I guess, of the old era. Because she was the character we followed for five seasons, and now she has just turned her back on everything she has known to go off on these new adventures that are completely different. And I'm sure at the time when they were making these episodes, that wasn't what they were thinking when they were doing the lighting. They were probably thinking more on a smaller scale for Ahsoka that you know this was the sun setting on her time as a Jedi, and then the sun rising in her new for her new adventure and and that sort of thing. But it, it came to symbolize for me, and this is something I noticed watching it again for for this episode. Um, this is something I noticed and sort of thought, well, that, that kind of turned out to be very, very poetic and, and, uh, a very, an, an, an interesting way to look at it now that that's sort of what these episodes have come to represent is the end of a, an old era and the beginning of a new. And, uh, and, and so that, that's what for me, when I think of these episodes, what I think of, because like you said, they are great episodes and had they just been, you know, episodes in season five and we continued on with season six and seven and, and even eight. They would have been important episodes. They would have been huge episodes in the, uh, in the series. We would have looked at them as turning points. Uh, but because they are in a lot of ways the real series finale for the Clone Wars, they take on a, a much deeper, much more emotional meaning, I think, for all of us that really, really love this show. And you're right about the, the turning point aspect there. Mm-hmm. For those who didn't attend Celebration or hadn't heard the fact that there was going to be further story arcs focusing in on Ahsoka. We actually yeah. saw a clip, didn't we? Yeah. Of Ahsoka on a speeder in the Coruscant underworld once again. So, mm-hmm. it, as you said, showcases really that there was going to be so much more of her character arc concentrated on during the during the series but as you said sadly we've now seen this arc really and perceive this as being as you said symbolic of the end of an era mm-hmm. the the dawn no longer rising it's it's cast away now and it's 
is poetic and it provides a lot of sentimental value to these episodes, which just make them so much more impactful. Um, and I'm kind of echoing a lot of your thoughts here when you said it's impactful on an emotional level because it really is. And what is great to see, though, is that whilst this is the end of an era, it's you know, we're talking about how Ahsoka is a personification, really, of the old era. It doesn't mean that it's gone forever. And the old era is still going to have an impact on future Star Wars. Case in point being Ahsoka's in Star Wars Rebels. Mm-hmm. And that immediately exhibits to any Clone Wars fans who have the fears, who had rightly the trepidation about whether the Clone Wars would just become a page in the history books. Well, we've seen a lot of content released since then. And I think a lot of that has to be down to the fans, really, who they themselves were the ones who were clamoring for the rise of more Clone Wars content. And perhaps this this is one of my interpretations as well, but having Rebels as a TV show airing on Disney XD... I wonder whether that had been the first move Disney would have made had the Clone Wars not been a success. Had the the TV series not been a success, I imagine Disney would have just gone straight to movie as the first major content release. Mm -hmm. I don't know what you think about that. Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think the the success of the Clone Wars and I think the outpouring of support for the Clone Wars that happened when it was cancelled definitely showed to disney that there was uh an audience for star wars on television and so i think they kind of fast-tracked rebels and i don't think rebels would have been a show had that not happened i think perhaps and this is a theory i presented on the star wars underworld a couple weeks ago actually last week um that i think rebels came out of the fact that there was a lot of people saying we want star wars uh, we want the Clone Wars back. And they said, well, we're not going to give you Clone Wars, but we'll give you another animated show. I, I do believe there was perhaps a, an intent for there to be Star Wars animation uh, in the in the new era. I think there was definitely an idea to keep people like Dave Filoni on board. Uh, but I think they were originally thinking more that they thinking more along the lines that they would do something post Jedi and that they would perhaps start releasing that show uh once the force awakens had come out and you know i think at that at that time they were thinking the force awakens would be a may or early summer release of course we now know it's a december release and so they they would have wanted but back in the time back in the day they would have wanted something on tv for september 2015 um but instead they they kind of fast-tracked rebels and they got something on tv in a pretty safe era to work in um and and that's sort of how things worked out that way. Uh, so that that I definitely think the Clone Wars definitely had a, a huge impact on on the early days of Disney and, and reminding them that there is a, a, a market or an audience for this stuff on TV. But let's get into the episodes proper. Like I said, I want to start at the end for a change. We're not going to start at the beginning. We're going to start at the end. Uh, and specifically with with what Barris Offy had to say, and we find out over the course of these episodes that Barris is 
the true villain. She's the one who is uh, framing Ahsoka. She's terrorizing the Jedi. She's doing all this. But there's these... But there's the line that she says when she is brought before the courts. She says, quote, I did it because I've come to realize what many people in the Republic have come to realize, that the Jedi are the ones responsible for this war. That we've so lost our way that we have become villains in this conflict. That we that we are the ones that should be put on trial, all of us. And my attack on the temple was an attack on what the Jedi have become, an army fighting for the dark side, fallen from the light we once felt held so dear this republic is failing it's only a matter of time end quote now she's not wrong that's the really interesting thing about these episodes uh besides all besides ahsoka's journey is is barris's journey because we come to find out that she's she's really we we know that when she's saying that she's not wrong i mean there's some some slight things in there that you know are the jedi really responsible for the war i, I don't know if we if I'd quite say that, but they are, you could definitely perceive them as villains in the conflict that they've lost, that they are an army fighting for the dark side. I mean, Sidious is up there leading that and that the Republic is failing. What, yeah. what, what is, what is your take on, on what Barris had to say at the end there what, on her justif justification for what she had done? It was, it was fascinating really, wasn't it? Because, as you said there, the statements she made were true. Mm -hmm. They weren't distortions. They weren't misguided. They were accurate. And I, it's good that you flagged that up because there was a similar line during that whole part of the episode where Palpatine spoke up about... Um, you know, people making a decision about whether Ahsoka was guilty or not. And he said, well, this could be an innocent Jedi. I'm paraphrasing a little bit here. Mm -hmm. This could be an innocent Jedi. On the other hand, it could be part of a separatist scheme where she is, where the separatists have infiltrated the Republic and have uh, manipulated the situation to their advantage, something akin to that. And what I found fascinating about that was if you just substituted separatists for Palpatine, mm -hmm. I think you'd be right on there. Because <laughs> is Palpatine, again, not using this to his advantage? And he, he, he is the fulcrum here for everything that is going wrong. And as you said, Barris accurately perceives the fact that the Jedi are losing their way, the Republic is corrupt, and that it will eventually crumble and fall. However, now I'll, I'll ask you this question here. There's debate then on how, yeah, yeah, where has Barris's character gone to? I mean, clearly there are certain attributes which are similar to those of a dark side acolyte. Mm. And I, I don't know. You can see allusions there with Krell too. When he's in that cell, he talks about this new dark power rising. But do you think that these dark side acolytes have to attain to a certain level 
of the dark side before they can really uncover who is really behind this. Because as you've pointed out there or highlighted, she focuses on the Jedi being the wrongdoers rather than the real person to blame for this. So in essence, my question is saying, do you think Darren Barisoffi has truly fallen to the dark side and do you think she is aware that there is another force out there? I don't think Barris fell to the dark side. I okay. do not believe that. People, uh, I know people are suggesting that she may be the uh, female Inquisitor in the Season 2 trailer for Star Wars Rebels. I don't believe that either. Uh, I don't think she has fallen to the dark side because I think in order to fall to the dark side, you have to have intentions for power. You want power. That's what drives drives people to fall to the dark side. Anakin is looking for the power to save Padme from dying, to save people from dying in general. He's looking for the power that he thinks, I, th I guess, that will make him happy. Sidious just wants pure, unlimited power. He wants to be the one in control. He wants to control the galaxy. Uh, Dooku is interesting because he kind of falls into this uh, into this Barris kind of into the similar Barris role because he had uh, aspirations of, you know, he, he realized that the Jedi Order was corrupt and, and, and that sort of thing. But he ultimately sort of fell into, into line with Sidious and became the leader of the Separatist movement and then was using the Separatist movement to try and take over the Republic. Again, he's just playing the game with Sidious. He's looking for power. Uh, Darth Maul is a bit of an enigma. We don't really know what he was after fully other than, again, power. General Krell. You bring up General Krell. But Krell, he says he wanted to be Count Dooku's new apprentice. He wanted to have a place in this new order. We never get that from Barriss. Because it, you go over what she said. You know, the Jedi are the ones responsible for this war. They're the villains in this conflict. And they should be put on trial. She never actually says, I want to be in control. I want power. I want this. She is doing this all for reasons that she believes is right. But not for selfish reasons. You know, they, at the uh, the Force Awakens San Diego Comic Con panel, you know, Adam Driver kind of talked about that. You know, or the difference between being evil and being selfish. And I don't think Barris is selfish. I think she still believes in these ideals of the Jedi Order, the true Jedi Order, of what the Jedi Order once was and what the Jedi Order is supposed to be. And she sees that they've fallen. Now she goes about trying to solve that in a bad way. But I don't think she's evil. I do not think she's gone to the dark side. I don't think she is. She's, she's evil. I think she's, she's doing bad things and she's using, she may be using or tapping into the dark side of the force, but I don't think she's necessarily fallen to the dark side either. Uh, so I, I, I very much am, uh, I, I very much disagree with the notion that she's a Sith acolyte or she's a dark side acolyte in any any sort of way. To me, she's she's a political idealist, and there was an exchange that Anakin and Ahsoka had earlier on when when Krell gets brought up. Of you know, political idealists can, can very easily become traitors, and I think that's more what we're seeing here now. 
And then you get into the discussion of what is what is a traitor? Is she, is she really a traitor? Because she is actually right. We know she's right. The Jedi are the villains in this conflict because they are fighting for Darth Sidious. They are the army of the dark side. They just don't realize it. The Republic is falling. It's only a matter of time. Again, this is season five of the Clone Wars. We're, we're what? At most a year out from that happening. She actually sees what's going on. Now, her mistake is she decides to go about trying to make a statement by killing people. And, and that's where, you know, you kind of draw the line at sort of labeling her a hero or anything like that. But I definitely, I definitely think that Barris is still, still has good intentions. She's just going about things wrong. She is still the only one that gets this. She just doesn't know how to fix it. And I think that's part of the problem is that people recognize that things are wrong with the Jedi Order. Obi-Wan in these episodes and in Dark Disciple, if you're reading Dark Disciple, he recognizes that something is wrong, that what they are doing is wrong, that, that what Mace Windu and Kyaiti Mundi and Yoda is, are, are doing, that that is wrong, that they are not upholding the Jedi way. But none of these people, they don't know how to go about changing that. Because the Jedi Order is so massive and it, it is caught up in this bureaucracy. So that's, that's sort of where I stand on this. I, I don't think she is, you know, she's the villain, quote unquote, of this arc, but I really don't think she really is, she's definitely not a villain in the sense that we're used to seeing even in Star Wars. Hmm. Well, I, I really do like that interpretation there. And, you got a lot of evidence there to back up your your opinion and your critique of the situation. Really, Barris's character, as you've said, she hasn't fallen necessarily to the dark side, but she has shown fleeting attributes, as I said, and um, I guess temperaments that would. Mm-hmm. No, you know, fitting she... towards a oh, dark sure. side individual using you know, visually just look at the fact she uses the red lightsabers and says the quote i think these suit me again that's quite a visual way of showcasing where she has become mm-hmm. but you can easily look at that and say well perhaps that's just uh you could say that's a perception of from anakin's view in a way as well mm-hmm. that the red lightsabers etc we, we, in our way, is the audience are being hoodwinked into saying, oh, she's the villain. She's the bad guy here because she tried to destroy the Jedi Temple by bombing it and making a political statement. But in a way, we, you could argue that we're being hoodwinked as the audience mm-hmm. under the gambit and, and game that is being played by Sidious. Because he's the true villain here. Oh, yeah. And everyone's being deceived, which is what can make interpretations of characters such as Barisofi very debatable. Mm. And I could you look at it from the other standing point. It wouldn't completely surprise me if she was the Sith uh, Inquisitor in Season 2 of Rebels because I think that it, on the other hand, there would be evidence to support one's judgment that she was on the process of falling to the dark side. She hadn't reached the level of a Krell yet or a Dooku, but her political idealism was what was inspiring her 
to desert, leave the Jedi Order. Well, she didn't necessarily leave the Jedi Order per se, but she certainly made enough of a statement to make a good claim that she uh, had had enough, really, of being a member of the Jedi Order. So, as far as Barriss Offee goes, and we're talking about her statements there at the end, whether we can judge and say she's a... I I mean, we can agree she's not fallen to the dark side, Mm -hmm. but whether she will do in the future, whether she'll be used by Sidious as a pawn or whether she was just executed, we don't really know. But you can see it going either way. In terms of her statements, though, as you said, pinpoint accurate about where the Republic is going. It's crumbling, it's falling apart, and the Jedi are far too blind to see it. Yeah, that's something we keep coming back to on, on this show, is that this what the Clone Wars did so well is show how the Jedi Order was able to fall, how they became just an arm of the Republic of the Republic military, how they gave up on their ideals, how they were, you know, they they were not what we always imagined the Jedi to be, and I think in some ways not what people like Anakin imagined the Jedi to be when he was not a part of that order. It, it's one of those things that you know, in these episodes, we finally see a character say that same thing and of course it's present we see the show from the point of view of the jedi so we have we're like you were saying the audience is kind of hoodwinked and or, or led to believe that this character is evil because we watch the show essentially from the point of view of the jedi and from their point of view because of what they have become they are essentially uh, you know, they, they we see this character as bad as as the villain, and while there's definitely reason to, I mean, she killed a whole bunch of people in that bombing, and you know, she turned against her best friend, which we'll get onto in a second about how about why Barris was framing Ahsoka, uh, but she was still, she's still not wrong. She's the one character that kind of figures this out. Yeah, you know, I, I kind of feel like Obi Wan throughout the entire prequel trilogy and throughout the Clone Wars is kind of on the verge of figuring it out. Like he he knows something's not right. He can kind of tell something is going wrong, and then it's too late. He doesn't figure it out fast enough. Barris figures it out, but she doesn't know how to go about doing anything about it. She goes about it wrong, and, and so I think that's that's what's really interesting here is because she she's right. She knew what she was talking about. Even even Krell was interested in, in becoming Dooku's apprentice. And, and whereas, you know, Count Dooku is really the only other character who, you know, we kind of get that sense, but we know that he definitely fell to the dark side. Whereas for Barris, I feel like there's still hope for her. Um, but because the Jedi are what they are, and we kind of see at the end of this episode that, you know, they have gone through this whole or- ordeal and they're like, they all they can do is sort of apologize to Ahsoka and they're like, well, this is, and Mace Windu says, this was your, actually your great trial. Essentially what they're tra- trying to do is justify their actions instead of saying, no, we made a mistake. Now we need to sit down and s- figure out why we made that mistake and how to prevent making that mistake in the future. Instead they go, uh, well, actually this was all supposed to happen because it is it, all, it, that's kind of the, the tragedy of the Clone Wars is that, you know, she figures it out. We, we know we as the audience can see that all of these things are wrong and there are characters like Barris and like Obi-Wan who are figuring it out somewhat but not fully. And 
they just are unable to actually fix the Jedi Order, partially because of Palpatine being where he is, but also partially because of just what the Jedi Order has become. And the Order falls, and that in the galaxy is absolutely worse off with no Jedi. Even these Jedi that are that have so lost their way, it's still better than no Jedi. And so they can't quite figure it out. But because and because they can't figure it out, they fall. And I think that final scene where Ahsoka is standing with the Jedi Council symbolizes ex- everything. Everything Barris was talking about is all found in that one scene. Hmm. Absolutely. Nail on the head there, I think. And your comments about the Jedi looking to justify their actions is completely understandable because it's in a way what any any sane person would do, even if it seems that their actions are irrational in their minds, they will try to justify their actions to say that they are doing something logical and rational. Mm Mm-hmm. And in the case of the Jedi, as you said, they say, oh, this was your great trial. And you see Ahsoka's facial expression there. And she, her body language shifts. She crosses her arms. And she looks a little bit perplexed about it. But also a little bit angry, I think. Mm-hmm. Because she's gone through this whole ordeal. They expelled her from the Jedi Order. And in response, they say it was a trial. And I think that's the I guarantee moment. no other Jedi would have gone through a trial like that. No. And thought to themselves, you know what? Oh, yeah, I want to come back with you guys. Yeah, that's that experience. It will stay with me forever, but I'll forgive you for it. It's fine. Mm-hmm. I completely understand where she's coming from. Yeah, I think that moment when Mace says that is the moment she decides not to come back. Because up until that moment, it's, it's, it is, it's the Jedi Council apologizing. They're apologizing. They're trying to make things right. And then Mace says that, and I want, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if in her mind, everything clicks together. And I think she realizes that, wait a minute, there is some truth in what Barris is saying. And that's a story I would love to see explored in, in this era is Ahsoka after these events and trying to, trying to come to terms with the fact that it was her best friend that turned on her and perhaps coming to realize that, wait a minute, maybe she was right. And that could be something that will be interesting to see explored in rebels as well is, is, you know, how is Ahsoka changed from, you know, the time that when she was, uh, uh, when she was this Jedi Padawan to whatever she is in rebels. I mean, there's not a real clear answer. I mean, she has the lightsaber. Sure. Which I mean, makes her, appear to be a Jedi, but there's the whole thing about her having the, the light blue lightsabers, the almost the white lightsabers that kind of symbolizes the fact that she's not really a Jedi. And while you have Kanan and Ezra training to be Jedi, or Ezra training to be a Jedi, here he is faced with this Force-sensitive being who has rejected the notions of the actual Jedi Order. And it would be interesting to see if Barriss is, is brought up as evidence of that it, it's Absolutely. it's a you know i i i think that in addition to having a profound impact on 
the audience. I think Barris's words also had a profound impact on Ahsoka. And again, Obi-Wan. Because I, I, I firmly believe Obi-Wan sense, has a feeling that something, he has a bad feeling about this. No, he has a feeling that something is wrong <laughs> in the prequel era, but he can't figure it out until it's too late. And I think that's, again, part of the tragedy of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, but let's... And it's also the admiration of, of certain Qui-Gon Jinn as well. Yeah. I think he realized sooner than anybody else. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the last thing I'll say before we move on to the next question as well is, in future, Ahsoka, please tr- choose your friends wisely. <laughs> Barisofi <laughs> tried to kill you twice. Twice. It's not twice. the type of best friend I want to have, I'll tell you that much. How'd she try and, try and kill her twice? Well, in a Geonosis arc. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, she was controlled by the by the by the worms. But 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 mm, the, let's be, right. let's let's look at Barris's arc over the entire series for a second because when we see her, we we really only see her one other time, and that is the Geonosis arc from season two. And in that arc, she's presented as the perfect Padawan. How did the perfect Padawan go get to the point of? turning against the Jedi Order. What about her journey? Was it those Geonosis episodes that that sort of awakened her to the fact that there is something wrong with the Jedi Order? That there or at the very least there is something wrong with this war? Was it that ordeal or or is, is it something or is that a part of her story that we don't fully know yet? Mm, that's an that's an interesting question actually. <sighs> If we have to base it, I think we'll have to base it on the content that we've seen in the Clone Wars, mm-hmm. because otherwise it will be extremely ambiguous on how on earth we can quantify and measure what happened to Barris Offy since the Geonosis arc. There might, there may well have been something, but I don't, I don't know whether this particular scene resonates with you, Dominic, but the moment in the Geonosis arc when we can recall Anakin and Luminara trying to get Ahsoka and Barris out of the rubble. And Luminara is there saying, oh, let her go. Let her go to the winds or whatever she said. <laughs> don't like Luminara anyway. I don't care. I don't care what she said. Well, I have to say Luminara is probably enough to make you turn to the dark side in my book. <laughs> well, yeah, but, I, I know the scene, I, scene you're I, referring to. See... I'll tell you what, I'll throw it over to you. I mean, on a serious note, I will say two contributing factors. I, I, I do think one of them is Luminara on a serious note. The way that she teaches her, the way that she instructs her Padawan, the having to be the perfect student. Mm-hmm. And then there must have been some experience, perhaps a Geno song, where it went wrong. Where what Luminara said didn't actually work. It wasn't achieved. If you think Luminara, if she's trying to make Barisofi, Luminara's trying to make Barisofi a model student, a perfect student, then that's presuming that what Luminara is saying is correct and right, Mm -hmm. that she is dogma. And when you recognize that she is wrong or she can be wrong, then that starts to, in your mind, you start to question then your beliefs, your faith. Uh-huh. That's where I think the contributing factor of Luminara does come into it because 
I, I do. We talked about this before, but Luminara is a personification of what is wrong with the Jedi Order, mm-hmm. and Barisofi clearly has become attuned to that. But what do you, what do you make? What do you think of the contributing factors? Then do you think Luminara is one of them as well? Yeah, I, I think so, and I think the moment you were referring to on, on Geonosis there, I think that definitely plays into things as well. Um, whether or not that moment is specifically what is the spark to use a, to borrow a phrase from star Wars rebels, the spark that, you know, ignites the fire that we see in these episodes is, is, is debatable. But I think that's representative of their relationship that I think Barris, you know, the Jedi are supposed to believe that all life is sacred. Uh, At least I, I think that's what we're, what the Jedi are supposed to believe. And, by that logic, the Jedi should be willing to do everything in their power to save a life. And we saw that Luminara didn't do that. And I think perhaps that may be something that she does more than once. And perhaps that's what awakens Barris to this fact that the Jedi have lost their way. That they have fallen from the light that they once held so dear because they have become so militaristic and their only focus, their only focus is on winning the war, is on maintaining power in the galaxy. And that power, again, is the, is the path to the dark side. And so, again, you go back to what she says, an army fighting for the dark side, an army fighting for power, fallen from the light that we once held so dear. So they, they're no longer willing – their focus is now on the big pitch, picture solely and not on the, uh, on the smaller scale, which I think the Jedi have always had to – have always focused on is, is sort of the smaller scale. They're – you know, Mace Windu says in episode two they're keepers of the peace, not soldiers. You know, keepers of the peace can, can go in and focus in on, on smaller, smaller conflicts, whereas soldiers are more involved in a big – full-scale war winning uh, and maintaining power and you know you look at the the episode trespass from season one that they said you know dave filoni said that this episode is sort of supposed to represent what the jedi used to do what obi-wan thinks they'll go back to doing once the war is over and that's sort of helping out on this small scale and i think sort of barris recognizes this and i think you're right i think it is sort of luminar's way of you know, the way she has become corrupted by this war. You know, it's, it's funny. The Jedi all look at Anakin like he's so like – this war is bad for him. He's like the only person that actually knows – that is actually kind of trying to do the right thing to help mm-hmm. out, you know, to help everybody, help anybody he can. Well, that obviously is reflective of the contradictions of the Jedi Order once again. Yeah. Where detachments – is one of the key components of what is the makeup of a Jedi. And yet you are supposed to be selfless and altruistic. You're supposed to be able to save people who are in danger. And they're fighting the separatists to protect and uphold the status of the Republic. And it's the principles of the Jedi Order are always... A paradox, really. It's so convoluted sometimes. And mm-hmm. I really do think that it it starts to hit on a couple of Jedi 
Um, and Baraz, I think, is one of them. Ahsoka later, that what they have been following this whole time, their principles have really just gone out of the window. The ideas of maintaining peace and order and justice, they're fighting a war and they're persecuting members of their own order for false crimes. Mm -hmm. And it's going to make you feel very isolated and alone. That's not what the Jedi Order is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a community. You're supposed to work together. You're supposed to embrace the principles. And I think what we see there with Barris, and you say, why has a with her story arc? Why has she evolved from being this model student to a disillusioned Jedi member? Well, I think it is the experiences she's had with her master. That's really what is going to be the main crux of what has determined this change. And as we at times, or at least I have, criticised Luminara on many occasions, don't necessarily think that we should be so shocked if we do think she embodies many of the elements which have made the Jedi Order corrupt. And again, this is not to say that she's the only one. Uh-huh. The Jedi Council... Um, Saiyasi Tin, is that his name, isn't it, on the Jedi Council? Mm -hmm. He is one of them as well. When he says, the nanodroids were found in Ahsoka's possession. She's guilty. Whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) That's that's like reading a headline in a newspaper article. You can't just take that for face value. You really have to look at the details here. It's far more complex and complicated than that. Mm-hmm. because again that's just representative of the Jedi so set in their ways that they're unable to actually be flexible and open minded they're far more narrow minded and they don't have a vision anymore I don't think they really re- their their goal is to win the war Yeah. after that as you said Obi-Wan said well will return back to the smaller scale stuff. But I don't necessarily think that many of the other Jedi are thinking that. I think in that way, Obi-Wan's looking a bit more long-term than most of the other council members. And perhaps that's why he's the one who manages to survive a lot of this ordeal. Yeah. Yeah. And that's my critique there. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's, it's it, again, this whole moment, you know, this moment with Barris is... The sh- is somebody is a character in the show finally saying what we've been saying all this time that something is wrong with the Jedi Order and things and you know things need to change. Unfortunately, we know they don't change and the Jedi Order falls. But this is the first time we've actually seen a character acknowledge that. We've spent a lot of time on on, on Barris, and I, I think we we should we should move on and, and talk a lot, talk about Ahsoka because this really is her arc, and she is in a lot of ways going through the realization that you know of what Barris realized a long time ago that the, there are massive problems with the Jedi Order, and in some ways she kind of goes about it in a similar way to Barris in that she she's running and and trying to prove her innocence and fighting and and and, you know she doesn't quite go as far obviously but i think you know as as the audience what we're you know ahsoka was kind of our sort of 
last hope for the Jedi Order. You know, she was the last person for the audience that we could look at the Jedi and say, okay, there is, there is good here. There is, you know, her story. We don't know the ending to her story, but you know, she still represents what the Jedi order is supposed to be. And in these episodes, we see her go through the painful realization of what we've known all along. And I think, you know, this character that we followed for five seasons and a movie at this point is really showing us, uh, it is you know the pain the painful part of this episode is that you know we've known all along and now we're seeing our favorite character know or learn all of the uh all the horrible things that are are wrong with the jedi order so i'll I'll just throw it to you what was your take on on how ahsoka handled herself in, in these episodes ahsoka has become a very mature character now very experienced and even the term padawan i think is becoming obsolete in reference to ahsoka at this point Mm -hmm. i don't see her anymore as a padawan certainly as she's progressed to the level if we're still talking in jedi terms here of a knight she's really exhibited her skills so well Again, exemplified fantastically at the beginning of this arc where she rescues Anakin, the chosen one he's supposed to be here. <laughs> and she's she's very intuitive with her ideas and she thinks on her feet. She's a fast thinker. And you just wonder how many other Jedi would have been able to have got as far as Ahsoka had done. Of course, there were a number of tools and instruments which helped her escape the prison, i.e. the key card and uh, and the, the shields were all um, were shut down as well but Ahsoka at that point could easily have been caught there were so many clone officers there but again partly I would say, talking about experiences of Padawans with their masters a lot of it is to do with the time she spent with Anakin where he would be able to think on his feet and do something a little bit unique, something different. And you see that Ahsoka's taking a lot of the attribute, I would say the positive attributes from Anakin in that respect, and then she's mixing it up with her own personality. And I, see, Anakin keeps saying, yeah, we'll take you to the Jedi Temple, let's take you back. Mm-hmm. But I'll ask you this question, Dominic. Would Anakin have done something drastically different to what Ahsoka did if he was in the same shoes? Oh, absolutely not. I, I think Anakin would have been doing the same thing. Um, I think the one place Anakin might have gone different from Ahsoka is he may have tapped in more into the dark, tapped in more into the dark side. I, I think that is where Ahsoka uh, and Anakin differ i think they both have sort of these rash ideals and 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 their way of being but i think um you know when ahsoka was fighting barris or who she thought was ventress i think anakin would have been much more aggressive in that fight much more trying to kill the person under the under the mask not really thinking it through whereas i feel ahsoka was more trying to stop this person and trying to arrest this person and bring this person to justice so that well partially so she could clear her name but also partially partially so she could 
you know, for for the sake of justice, quote unquote. Whereas uh, Anakin, I feel like, was definitely more would have definitely been more in the business of killing Barris or Ventress or whoever he thought was under that mask. Um, so that that's where I think they differ more than anything. What I think is really interesting is is the moment when Ahsoka is standing at the uh at the edge of the of the underworld of that you know the big the big uh bottomless pit we'll say um where she you know she jumps off and she comes face to face with Anakin when they're in the sewers is how would the other jedi have re- reacted to that would is is that again is that a unique thing to Anakin that he was willing to trust her to fall like would would Obi Wan have trusted Ahsoka? Would Mace? Would Plo Koon? Plo Koon's another interesting one. I don't think any of them would have. I think they all would have tried to stop her from doing that. Whereas I feel Anakin kind of understood where where she was coming from. The other one, I the other ones are so caught up in the dogma of the Jedi Order. That they never would have let her take that leap of faith, for lack of a better term. What do you think? Would 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 Obi Wan or Plo specifically, uh, or even Mace? Although I think we all know the answer for Mace, uh, have let Ahsoka make that jump if he had, if they had been standing in Anakin's position. I can't completely disagree with you there. I particularly Plo Koon. I based particularly on this arc, when the Jedi assigned Plo Koon and Anakin to look for Ahsoka, there was no disputation or concern about appointing Plo Koon, even though he was the Jedi, the individual who brought Ahsoka to the temple. So you mm-hmm. could argue that he would have emotional ties too. But they questioned Anakin, not Plo Koon feel like Plo Koon has become level-headed and is a far more detached between Ahsoka than Anakin would be. So I've, in terms of your illustration there, Plo Koon, unlikely he would have stopped her. Obi-Wan's an interesting one, though. I feel at least Obi-Wan in this arc was shown to back Ahsoka a lot, particularly in the in the final episode. You can't just let Tarkin... Uh, you know, we've got to, we can't let Tarkin do what he says. We need to stand by Ahsoka here. He says that. Mm-hmm. And then I remember the, the final scene when Anakin runs after Ahsoka. Who's the first person who's about to follow him? Obi-Wan, but Plo Koon stops him. Yeah. I, uh, Obi-Wan's an interesting one. I, I do wonder because he's known Ahsoka for so long now, he could have been one of the ones that may well have let her. I, but then again, would the dogma of the Jedi Order, the doctrine, risen to the surface there, and he wouldn't have been able to? Yeah, I mean, he's been through a lot. To be fair to him, I mean, this is after Satine's passed away. You wonder where Obi Wan really is at that state. That's the only minor question mark. But uh, and Obi Wan, of course, an interesting character in that respect as well. Looking at his relationship with Ahsoka, mm-hmm. um, I'll quickly ask your opinion on how you view their relationship in a second but uh, overall to abridge this you're right in terms of the other council members they wouldn't they wouldn't have let her they wouldn't have had the faith and comprehension 
to to allow her to jump, it wouldn't have made sense. It would have been logical. It would have taken her in. Mm-hmm. But just briefly, perhaps I'm sidetracking a little bit here, but it's still a little bit insolent to this art. You know, based on what you can see of Obi-Wan's reaction to these events, would you say that their relationship, him and, and Ahsoka's, is pretty close? Obi-Wan and Ahsoka? Yeah, not yeah. to the same level of Anakin, no. but... Yeah, I, I think they definitely have a close relationship from working together so much. But I, I don't know if Obi-Wan fully gets Ahsoka the way Anakin does. And I think we get a bit of a hint of that in the um, the story reels, the Crystal Crisis on Utapau arc, when Anakin and, Ahsoka, Anakin and Obi-Wan have that conversation about Ahsoka. And... Obi-Wan seems to think Ahsoka made the wrong choice. Whereas when Anakin comes face to face with her, he understands her choice. And I don't know if Obi-Wan being there in that, in that final moment, I, I know you, you were mentioning the fact that he was, you know, he was about to run after her. I don't think that well, would have helped. Perhaps he was more running after Anakin, but that, that could be an interpretation. But yeah, he was... Carry on. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, I was just going to say, I don't think that would have helped. I, I think really the the way things were going, the, there's nothing Obi-Wan could have done. I think if anything, Obi-Wan may have made it worse. Whereas I think Anakin can kind of understand her decision. I don't think anybody else really can. Because Anakin, again, this I think this is why he, he let her jump. He recognizes that the Jedi Order is corrupt. He's another one, you know, uh, along with Obi-Wan, where Obi-Wan can tell that things are not quite right, but he can't figure out why or how to fix it. Anakin knows that things aren't right, but he feels like he that it's his responsibility either to fix them or that things are being done in a way that is purposefully against him. And that's ultimately what drives him to the dark side. And I think, you know, Anakin can understand where Ahsoka is coming from because, you know, he, he, he has felt that way about the Jedi Order, that the Jedi have, you know, purposefully left him out of stuff, you know, even the Reiko Hardin arc, uh, with, with all that that went down there. Um, he has felt that, uh, Ahso- that the Jedi Order is against him. The, these, these are feelings that Obi, that, that Obi-Wan has never quite had, but Anakin has definitely had. And I think he, understands it and even though he doesn't want ahsoka to go he is not going to try and stop her he just needed a moment to you know one final you know a final word with her before she left and so i i don't think obi-wan really quite had that same level of understanding i think you know nothing happens by accident you know this goes back to that the, the clone wars movie you know, Anakin says to Ahsoka, nothing happens by ha- accident. There's there's a reason why you are my Padawan. And I think in this moment, we see why. It's because they get each other in a way and they respect each other in a way that most masters and apprentices don't, I think. Uh, but but that's, 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 where, that's my interpretation of it. Uh, um, do you have anything to add on that or shall we, uh, shall we move on a little bit? We'll, we'll move on. I feel we've both said a lot on this subject. Good, good content. <laughs> All right. Let's, since we're talking about Ahsoka, let's talk about Rex a little bit and their relationship. 
it, you know, there's not a lot of time that is spent on those two characters, but there is a, you know, Rex is along with Fox and Anakin in charge of tracking her down. And we know that Ahsoka and Rex are friends and we know that they stay friends after order 66. And you know, we know that from the rebel season two trailer. So does Rex believe that Ahsoka is guilty? Because, you know, he does give, does, you know, put out that call to the other clones and he does say that she killed three clones. You know, Anakin wouldn't have included that information. I don't think so, but, but Rex does. So does Rex think Ahsoka is guilty? That is definitely the line which makes it very difficult to read Rex in that moment. For me, I'd be interested to get your view on this in a second. I think Rex is back to, to the hill, if I'm being honest. I know he said that in the com link, but just a minute before that, he'd said, I know Commander Tano, she wouldn't do this. In his mindset, I believe he has different thoughts about this matter than what's actually been spouted out of his mouth, what he's actually said. He, in a way, is following orders there. Um, well, no, no, not necessarily orders. following orders, but I, yeah, he's just saying what he's seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the moment, to be fair to him, there's no other candidate there. Mm-hmm. There are clones that are dead. Ahsoka's been here. But within his mind, he's thinking, there's more to this than meets the eye. That she hasn't just turned... There's something else going on. That's what I imagine. It, I mean, I could be completely wrong. Perhaps this is a part where he does think, oh, well, Ahsoka's actually turned. Yeah, I'm you know, kind of joining a bandwagon here. But <laughs> but then whatever happens, there has to have been a meet-up between these two characters before we see them in Rebels. Of course. And after we see Ahsoka leaving the temple. Of course. What that conversation entails and what actually happened, we don't know. But it, what do you think? Do you think it's more likely that Rex would have sided with Ahsoka after, say, Order 66, when that could have been a time when they both met each other and realized what has happened and they reconvened and became allies again? Or do you think that Rex has always backed her? Yeah. And that, that's what's going on in his mindset. I, I, I'm... I'm not sure what I think of Rex in these episodes, to be perfectly honest. Because he does, he does make that call and he does say that. And, and you're right. You know, he could just be reporting what he sees. He could, you know, him, you know, he doesn't want to turn against his clones. We know that he has had that experience, uh, where he's been forced to fight against his fellow clones. And I don't think he would want to do that again. So perhaps there's a little bit of that going on there, which would lead him away from the fact that he knows Ahsoka would never do this. There's also the inhibitor chip. He still, he still has it. He still has the, the chip in his mind, the chip that is protocol 66. Uh, nobody has uncovered that yet. We're still, we're still an episode arc away from that. Um, could there be something in him that immediately has him distrusting of the Jedi? That there is some hidden bit of programming in there 
that, you know, he's supposed to believe that a Jedi could go bad. That, you know, there's a reason why Protocol 66 is in place. You know, there, could that be a reason why? Could there be, you know, something in his mind that suggests why he would uh, want, why he would be a little bit more suspicious of Ahsoka? Then he thinks so. I, I don't know if I fully believe that myself. I'm just throwing it out there because I sort of thought about thought about it because you know we've seen clones say things while under the influence again of those brain worms. Going back to season two, you know if there's one thing we clones know, it's how to take down a Jedi. So perhaps the clones are are kind of on a subconscious level aware that one day they may have to take down a Jedi. And perhaps this is, you know, Rex kind of, perhaps this, that subconscious level that's coming through on, on Rex. I don't know. I would think that, you know, this would be something, I don't, one, I don't think this is something they would ever talk about. I, I don't think Ahsoka would, would really question Rex in any, any of this because he was just following orders. He was just kind of following what, what Anakin was, was doing and he, didn't really ever come face to face with her in, in, at any at any point in this, you know. She only ever came face to face with Commander Fox or Commander Wolf or, or, or that sort of thing. So, I, I, you know, and the other thing is, once Order sixty six happens, once the Empire has risen, I think both of them are just looking for any ally they can get, and the fact that they were able to find each other before we see them together on Rebels or before we see them on Rebels. I think uh, was enough for them to sort of go, okay, we can, we can pick up where we left off. We can pick up with this uh, and, and work together to at the very least survive and perhaps one day take down the galactic empire. Um, but uh, you know, I think Rex is kind of, kind of on the fence about this. You know, I think, you know, on the one hand he does agree with Anakin. I think that's sort of where his, his, uh, you know, his gut and his heart lies that he believes that Ahsoka is innocent. But I also think he, he does see that evidence in front of him, which kind of will make him pause. But uh, yeah, I, I, you know, Rex is one of those ones. I, I, I'm just not sure what he believed in, in this arc. And then that one, that one call sort of did seem a little bit more aggressive than one would expect from someone who is Ahsoka's friend, if you know what I mean. Yeah, completely, completely know what you mean. All right, let's talk about Admiral Tarkin, who is he? Who is the real villain in all of this? Now, <laughs> first and foremost, uh, why do you think Tarkin wanted so badly for Ahsoka to be guilty? Was there anything specific about it being her, or? Was he just looking for any old Jedi to, to blame? This was no coincidence. Ooh. However, <laughs> I don't think it was Tarkin's agenda. I think it was his overseer, ah, Chancellor Palpatine's. Remember the quote he says in the second episode? Um, I've actually got it written down here. So I'd rather, I, I want to say it right. Um, let's see exactly what he says here. 
Uh, talking about Palpatine and, and the fact that the military have taken the letter, in, letter into custody. It's become a Republic military affair now. And Ahsoka says, I hope Chancellor Palpatine knows what he's doing. And Tarkin retorts, I assure you, he rarely does anything without a strategy. I think this kind of exemplifies, that quote exemplifies what's really going on here. This, maybe it didn't pan out exactly the way Sidious had hoped. Because had it gone the right way, based on the votes, we don't know what the votes were going to be, but we can insinuate it, that she would have lost and she would have been executed. And that would have, again, been a contributing factor towards Anakin's fall to the dark side, making him isolated. He no longer has his Padawan. And he's got more reason to be infuriated with the Jedi Order. So if you look at this, getting rid of Ahsoka now is going to disenchant Anakin's relationship with the Jedi, make him more isolated, and covet to spend more time with Palpatine. Ahsoka, of course, didn't get executed, but she deserted a Jedi Order. And in a way, I feel that was enough for Palpatine. It's probably why he left her alone uh-huh. and didn't go after her, because she left. And that was enough, in a way, to seal... Not really seal Anakin's fate, but it was enough of a contributing factor. He probably thought, yes, he's gone out of her life. That's the main thing here. That's how I interpret it, because there's no real reason I can see in the past for Tolkien having such detestation towards Ahsoka because because Ahsoka saved him mm-hmm. in the Citadel arc and he did question some of the tactics about oh we're letting the Padawan lead the group but she saved him so there's no I can't see why there should be any massive antipathy between the two characters it doesn't really make that much logical sense but if Tarkin's just following logical orders, sorry, not logical, he's just, he's just following the orders which have been given to him, then that's when it becomes logical to see the fact, to see the reason behind Tarkin's demeaning character. What, what do you read into that situation? Do you think that this interpretation I've said has any justification towards it? Absolutely. I think that's a hundred percent right. I think, Tarkin was definitely following Palpatine's orders and we know that Palpatine is always pushing Anakin to see how far he can make him go dark until he, you know, he just kind of lays all his cards out on the table in episode three. And I think this was another instance of that where he is just trying to see how far he can push Anakin if he can create more of a wedge between himself and the Jedi Order. Uh, Just another incident of the Jedi Order not trusting him or not proving worthy of his trust um, makes Anakin all the more uh, makes it all the more easier for Palpatine to influence Anakin when he's really making the push to get Anakin to turn to the dark side in Episode Three. I, I think you're absolutely right that you know it did not it was no accident there that Tarkin was working on behalf of uh, of Sidious to get Ahsoka out of the picture at the very, they wanted her killed. You know, that, that, that vote that Palpatine was handed at the end there before Anakin burst in with Barriss was almost certainly a, a guilty verdict. 
even though, you know, we know that she was not guilty and as Anakin proved. But I think you're absolutely right. He, Anakin, he wanted to see Ahsoka dead. He wanted to see a wedge driven between Anakin and the Jedi Order. And even though he didn't get exactly his way, he got most of his way. Because even though Ahsoka wasn't dead, she was gone. She was out of the picture. Uh, her actions made Anakin trust the Jedi Order even less. So this is, you know, through all of this, it all wound up being a victory for Palpatine. It's still, it, it, he always wins. It, it always comes back to him. Uh, that it, it almost always seems to work out for him. Right up until that moment when uh, when Vader decides to pick him up and throw him down that bottomless pit on the second Death Star. It, it's, I mean, did, go ahead. Just to jump in, uh, to demonstrate the importance of this assignment, I think that's the reason why Tarkin was at the forefront of a lot of this. Tarkin is one of Palpatine's closest confidants. Oh, yeah. He's one of the big three, or will eventually be the big three because Anakin's not Vader yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, he could argue the big two because Tarkin, based on the novel as well, is number two in the rankings, really, ahead of Vader. If you're looking at the hierarchy here. Oh, yeah. And for sure. This is someone who he trusts. The Palpatine. Tr- yeah, Palpatine trusts Tarkin, has a lot of faith in his abilities and his skills. And to put him there again in the courts as well as the prosecutor. Yeah. Shows the salience, really, of this task. Yeah. And I'm sure that Tarkin was privy to maybe not all of it, but to a lot of it. See, I don't think he was privy to very much. I think Palpatine was just telling him, we need we need to prosecute this Jedi. We need this Jedi. We, we can't have the Jedi be involved in the military anymore. Uh, you know, he was he was telling Tarkin what Tarkin wanted to hear, what Tarkin needed to hear in order to get him to fight so aggressively because we we know that Tarkin never quite fully agreed with the with the Jedi way. You know, that's made abundantly clear not only in the Tarkin novel but in the Citadel trilogy. Tarkin doesn't fully agree with the Jedi uh and and doesn't believe in their methods. Uh and so I I think the line that Tarkin says that you know the chancellor feels very strongly that the Jedi be removed from all military matters you know was one that initially stuck out to me as kind of weird like why would why would Palpatine be saying that he needs the Jedi to keep fighting so that the public opinion can keep falling of them and so I think he was telling Tarkin that to get Tarkin to go okay this is my chance to get to do things my way, to not have those pesky Jedi and their and their moral code uh, interfering with winning this war. You know, he says in in Rebels, he says to Kanan, you don't know how, what it takes to win a war, but I do. And I think this these moments here is, is kind of a, almost a precursor to that, where he's sort of telling the Jedi, you know, you don't know how to do this, but I, this is my area. Let me do let me do things my way. And I think, uh, you know, Palpatine really played, played on that with Tarkin. He played on Tarkin's uh, desires to have the Jedi out, out of the war. And therefore Tarkin fought so aggressively to get Ahsoka the uh, guilty conviction, the guilty verdict and, and to have her, her thrown out. And so again, it's, it's just Palpatine manipulating uh, Palpatine's manipulating the people. You might even say Palpatine controls everything. You know, he is 
there to, you know, he's manipulating us. He's manipulating uh, Tarkin, who in turn manipulates the Jedi, which in turn manipulates Anakin. Yeah, it's it's, a, it's it's a victory for Palpatine, and absolutely, absolutely, and Palpatine has been so gleeful at the end of this arc. Um, I how how far into Palpatine Palpatine's final final gambit, if you will, do you think this particular idea or event sits in the timeline really so wow. the time I mean, the timeline order 66 is super possibly another year away but we know that palpatine has made attempts to get himself kidnapped so to speak that seems to be the final gambit is when he gets kidnapped anakin faces against dooku that's the major test so based on we see in the crisis on naboo the Bounty Hunters arc of Season 4, that may well have happened again. Do you think this is one of the final showcases in his master plan or his master rise to power, so to speak? One of the, I, wouldn't know, I wouldn't say if it's one of the final ones, but I would say it's an important one. Mm. I think it's definitely crucial that Ahsoka be out of the picture. You know, that was always the thing about Anakin having a Padawan, that... Yoda and Obi-Wan discussed in the movie is okay Anakin can Anakin can have a Padawan he can teach this person but will he ever truly be able to let go of her and they took a risk and uh ultimately it seems it wound up benefiting Palpatine I, I think that more than anything is is what we see uh, is again, it, it's it's that failure of the Jedi Order, uh, the, the the failure of of you know of of the good guys in the prequel era, is that they were trying these things, they were trying to do the right thing at times, but they were just so caught up in their own ways of doing things that they didn't realize that the right way may be well, maybe we should let Anakin form these attachments and and let him and help him once these attachments are lost not make him hide them not make not make not make ourselves out to be the villains in this um in his eyes and i think that's sort of what we're seeing here is that palpatine is again he wants them wants the jedi order to seem like the villains he wants anakin to distrust the jedi and ultimately when this goes down palpatine succeeds now i i still don't think Anakin is quite ready, and we we know we had about three more seasons or two and a half more seasons uh, worth of content that they never released after the uh, after the lost missions. So we are kind of in that that interesting. It's an, it, the Clone Wars always had an interesting sort of timeline of, you know, did it actually fit into two years? Was it two years? Was it three years? I think it was supposed to be three years, but I really feel like. If they wanted to with the show, they could have said, no, actually, it was five years and just pushed everything back. Um, but it seems like it's about three years. Well, if it had gone eight seasons, it would have been about three seasons per year, give or take, two and a half, you know, somewhere in there. Um, and so I, I do think, yeah, we're about a year out from, from episode three. And I think this was either the first step in the final phase of Palpatine's plan or 
just you know sort of the last stage in the in the step before the final step if you know what i mean yeah as you said an important one yeah crucial one absolutely turning anakin to the dark side absolutely uh so is there anything else you want to bring up from this episode or shall we move on to favorite quotes um no i think i think we've probably said said enough about this so yeah we'll move on to to our quotes to our quotes all right so i'm i'm going to throw it to you first for uh some favorite quotes absolutely and we're going to go for the jedi who knew too much the second episode in this four-part arc and ahsoka says i do trust i do trust you anakin you know as well as i do that no one will believe me so it's anakin it's up to you to learn to trust me now Uh and he says i do trust you at which point she then says i know and jumps off the (laughs) sewer edge that was a great scene yeah wasn't it i there were two i expect i i imagine you will have a quote from the final episode which shocked me um but those two scenes at the end of the second episode and the fourth episode fantastic um rapport between matt lanter and ashley Eckstein there oh yeah absolutely Uh, so dominic over to you yeah well can i cheat and and use the barris quote again because that really is my favorite quote from this arc and i I wanted to use it at the beginning because i think it it frames so much of the clone war series and so in case you've forgotten it (laughs) this quote is quote is is from barris office when she bursts in at the end and she says I did it because I've come to realize what most people in the Republic have have come to realize. The Jedi are the ones responsible for this war. That we've so lost our way that we have become villains in this in this conflict. That we are the ones that should be put on trial. All of us. And my attack on the temple was an attack on what the Jedi have become. An army fighting for the dark side. Fallen from the light that we once held so dear. This is This Republic is failing. It's only a matter of time. Well, we'll leave it at that then. Yeah, so that will wrap things up for for us here on the Clone Wars Strikes Back for this week. Don't worry, we'll be back next week talking about the Order 66 arc. The first episode of The Lost Missions. It's weird to go directly from this to The Lost Missions because there was such a long gap when we first saw that. You know, between the end of this and the beginning of the Lost Missions, it was almost it was almost a year that to you know go from this this week to, to that next week. It's it seems it seems almost too fast. I feel like we should take another like six months hiatus before we <laughs> before we continue on that. Uh, but we won't do that. Don't worry. Uh, we uh, we'll be back next week to talk about the Order sixty six arc. But before we do that, we just have time for some final thoughts on the season five finale the ahsoka arc kieran final thoughts and score out of 10 final thoughts of the ahsoka arc in season five we've mentioned it at the beginning this was an emotional roller coaster what a ride this was started off as just being a a simple little bomb of bombing of the jedi temple which <laughs> escalated into a massive gambit which was implemented by Palpatine to try and turn Anakin to the dark side as it usually is um, but yeah we focused a little bit on Palpatine but this is a Soka story arc here and 
she the experiences she goes through in this particular arc are certainly what set her down the line for being the character we know and love in Rebels as well. I believe that these experiences would really have inspired her to shift her focus towards defeating the true Sith and staying away from the Jedi Order as a whole now. The Jedi Order are corrupt and she recognizes that. But as far as Ashley Eckstein's performance of Ahsoka goes in this episode, in this arc, it was absolutely phenomenal once again. Kevin Kiner's score. I think this is the most memorable of his scores in, in terms of arcs. I thought they were great, particularly at the end of the, Je- the Jedi Knew Too Much with the chase. It was so thrilling to listen to as well as to watch. All of the elements combined together to make an absolutely incredible arc. And there's only one rating I can give this. And it's a 10 out of 10. Brilliant arc. Yeah. Over to you, Dominic. Yeah, absolutely. I have to echo you. It's a, a 10 out of 10, uh, hands down. You know, the like you said, it started off as a pretty simple arc, as an arc with a story that uh, we may, you know, we, we may have sort of an idea of how it would play out. You know, there was a Jedi temple bombing and, and this, you know, Anakin and Ahsoka would go on this mission. Uh, but what really sets this apart is the fact that they were willing to make that such a huge change in the fabric of the series to have Ahsoka walk away from the Jedi Order at the end there, I think is what sets this arc apart from not only most other arcs of, of the Clone Wars, but most other TV because well, most other shows wouldn't have the have the nerve to really change things up the way they did. And, uh, you know, it's a bit of a shame we never fully got to see the repercussions of that uh, on the show itself, although we're still getting that legacy content, as we mentioned at the beginning. But it, it was a bit of a, sh- a shame that we never got to see it play out the way it was meant to be seen. That being said, uh, lots of really great stuff in these episodes. Uh, you mentioned Kevin Kiner's scores. One of the great moments in there uh, was when... Ahsoka was walking away, and you just hear the Force theme for a moment. And I thought that was a beautiful little addition by Mr. Kiner, as well as when uh, when Anakin is fighting Barriss. You get the Imperial March. And is that supposed to hint at Barriss' future? Or Anakin's future? Or both? I, I fall into that it's more hinting at Anakin's future. But, you know, you never know. Barriss' fate is still a little bit up in the air at this point so maybe we'll see maybe she is that inquisitor on rebels i don't think so but this time next year i could be i could have been proven very very wrong uh also uh, i thought it was really interesting the way that anakin was was portrayed in this arc uh both in a sort of both in the vocal performance from matt lanter but also in the way he was portrayed visually he was very imposing very big you really got a sense of Anakin's size, especially when compared to other characters like Barriss and Ventress. And you really felt like you were looking at Darth Vader, not Anakin Skywalker, but Darth Vader, just the way uh, the animators made him look so imposing in these episodes. I thought it was a really, really cool touch. So like I said, 10 out of 10 for this ep- for these episodes. We both uh, give it a perfect score. Uh, and, you know, there's so much good stuff coming up in the final run here. That I wouldn't be surprised if we see one or two more, or three, or four, or more uh, runs of perfect scores from all of us here. 
So that will wrap things up for us here on the Clone Wars Strikes Back for this week. Like I said, we'll be back next week talking about the Order 66 arc from the first four episodes of The Lost Missions. So definitely don't want to miss that. In between shows, you can like us on Facebook. Just search for The Clone Wars Strikes Back. Like us over there. Uh, if you want to keep a little bit of Clone Wars in your news feed, that is the page to like. You can follow us on Twitter at TCW Strikes Back. Uh, you can follow me personally at DominicJ25. You can follow Kieran at CDuggan6. If you want to know what we were up to while we were on our hiatus, you can check out The Watchers of Westeros. That's our Game of Thrones podcast. You can check out what we had to say about Season 5 of that show. So you don't want to miss that also uh between shows be sure to keep listening to the star wars underworld podcast which is my other podcast uh which uh every week we break down all the latest breaking star wars news rumors and so much more and there's never been a better time to be a star wars fan with the force awakens rogue one battlefront rebels and everything else that's going on you definitely don't want to miss that a couple weeks ago we had on christy golden who wrote uh dark disciple of course part of the clone wars legacy materials uh, and she gave us a bit of insight on the behind-the-scenes process of of adapting those episodes. And we talked about characters and Mace and, and Obi-Wan and Ventress and Quinlan Boss. And you definitely want to check that out. And yes, it is spoiler-free. So if you haven't read the book yet, which you should have, you should have, uh, you know, it's been a while now. You should have been able to get to the bookstore and back with a while you've been listening to this. So hopefully you have your copy of Dark Disciple now. Uh, and, and uh, yeah, we will be talking about that on the show. Um, and uh, between we, between shows... Be sure to keep hitting up StarWarsUnderworld.com for all the latest breaking Star Wars news. And subscribe to the Star Wars Underworld on iTunes. That's where you'll get this show and the Star Wars Underworld podcast. That's right, two shows for the price of one, and that price is absolutely free. And if you have a little time, we'd love it if you could leave us a review, preferably a four- or five-star one. So thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week talking about the Order 66 arc. Until then, may the Force be with you. It's a wrap.